we'll continue with our series. Um, the series is entitled, What's Wrong With Us? If you're following this series uh, through uh, with CCF, we've been going through First Corinthians. And the more I look at First Corinthians, the more I realize that the church in Corinth before had problems. That there's something wrong with them. And not just during that time, but even up to today. There are challenges, wrong things that are happening in the body of Christ. How we respond, how we relate with one another, our relationship with each other, how we serve the Lord, and stuff like that. Those things that happened before are also happening now, and it's impacting the church in the negative way. That's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, to help the church, including us. How do we respond properly? So as we continue with this series, we're going to look at something that's very common to the church that's also wrong with us and we need to deal this and here's the statement that I want to intro with and the statement goes like this knowing the truth this is our problem some of us maybe not all of us knowing the truth about Jesus but still choosing to what live a life of compromises meaning to say you go to church you give your tithes you attend a small group, you finish the classes, you help the poor, you're part of a D group or whatever that is, but still there are compromises in our lives. It happened in the church of Corinth and guess what? It's also happening today. And that's why we need to deal with this. Because if we don't deal with this, then the church is not pleasing to God. We are not pleasing to God. I am not pleasing to God. And there are consequences with that. Now, what are some of our reasons why we still live a life of compromises? And I heard this from some people. In fact, some of the friends that I know who grew up in church, some of them have these reasons why they still compromise, why they still go back to their old ways. For example, some of them would say, well, God is gracious. Yung First John one nine principle, you know, First John one nine, confess your sins before the Lord, and because He is gracious and kind to forgive us and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. So we use that card. Yes, I know I've been living a life of compromises. Yes, I know I, God doesn't want this lifestyle. He doesn't want me to do this. He doesn't want this relationship in my life. Pero gracious si God, eh. God loves me naman, di ba, Pastor Marty? So we have that card that we give to God. The Lord, please forgive me. I can't change. I don't know how to change. But I know you're gracious. But again, we shouldn't abuse the grace of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 says, it doesn't mean that because God is gracious, all the more we sin so that His grace would increase. No. A proper understanding of God's grace will transform our lives. Look at some another reason. Some of them would say, but my sin is not that bad compared to others. Ito yung comparison trap. Ay, yung ibang Christian, other Christians, they're living like this. They're cheating. They don't have a good relationship with their with their spouse. I'm not like that. I'm still a good Christian. Or some people naman, the reason why they compromise, because they feel like their parents are compromising, my other leaders are compromising, so might as well I compromise. That's not a valid reason to live a life of compromises. But again, there's something wrong with the church. Another one is this. I don't want to be a super active Christian. That's another reason. Meaning to say they're saying, I just want to be a normal Christian. I just want to be, you know, to sit down, listen to the message, be inspired. Guess what? If you read the scripture, a normal Christian is someone 
who is committed to Jesus. A normal Christian is someone who will serve the Lord and follow the Lord. Can you ask your seatmate, am I a normal Christian? Go ask your seatmate. I abnormal gun. I'm just kidding. Okay, no, no. But the seriousness is, a normal Christian is someone who will live for God. Someone who will be dedicated for Him. So it's not normal if you just want to sit and just listen to message and you're not going to be passionate for the Lord. That's not what God is seeking for. But some people are like that. Another one is this. And I've heard this once, okay? Uh, not from the person directly, but some of the person's friends told this to me. That they said, that the person said, he knows, the person knows that he's living a life of compromises. The person knows that he's living a life that is not pleasing the Lord. But you know what the person said? I'll just repent when I'm on my deathbed. I know, I know malito, I know this is wrong. I know God will punish me for what I'm doing. But I'm enjoying it. I don't want to let it go. This is, this is what I want for this season of my life. I'll just repent eventually. Now for me, that's a very problematic. Because I don't know if that person is a genuine Christian. If someone is a genuine Christian, there's conviction. And that conviction will lead you to repentance. But if you keep saying, no, I'm just going to repent when I'm on my deathbed, how will you know that next week you're still alive? Next year you're still alive? Ten years from now, five years from now, you're still alive? The principle is this. If you're a genuine Christian, repentance is part of the equation and the picture. And for some people, they're, they're just completely honest. This is what they're going to say. I know what I'm doing. I just do want to enjoy now. I can handle the consequences later. You know, Pastor Marty, I'm, just, I'm not really into this Christian, Christian thing. I just got invited. And I'm a good person. I'm not saying you're not a good person. But are you a good person in God's eyes? There's a big difference. You might be good in this world and based on your standard. But are you pleasing in God's eyes? That's why Paul wrote this letter for the church in Corinth. Because they had problems. And that's why he said in 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 9. This is where we ended last week. He said, let's read this together. Verse 23. I do what? All things for the sake of the gospel. What's the gospel? Evangelio. It's the good news. The good news of Jesus. That he came here to die for our sins. You will only appreciate the good news of Jesus if you know the bad news. You know what the bad news is? If you sin, which all of us sin, we go to hell. We're separated from God. That's the bad news. That's why Jesus came. Jesus never had to come here if there's no bad news. But there's a bad news. So Jesus came here. He became man. 100% God. 100% man. He died for your sins, my sins. And he rose again to prove that he's God. That's the gospel. And when Paul heard about that, and when Paul uh, saw Christ, Christ revealed himself to him, Paul changed. And now his mission is God, God's mission. He's going to do everything for the gospel. He's going to live for God. And that's why our message for today, very simple, quite familiar for most of us, is this. One, two, three. What's our message? Live for God's glory. Tell your seatmate. One, three, go. Live. In fact, we, I think all of you got this sticker. So we are giving you this sticker. Each one of you will get one. So don't get more than one. You'll pay 500 pesos each. And I'm just kidding. But it's a good reminder 
I know you guys know this message, even those who are online. Uh, by the way, for those who are online and you are feeling sad because you don't have this sticker, you can scan this QR code. There you go. So you can download the sticker. You can print it on your own. Or there's a wallpaper actually. You can post it or make your wallpaper in your phone this picture. In fact, you can stick it on your Bible, stick it maybe on your notebook, your, on your heart if you want to, on your forehead. I'm just kidding. But just to remind us, we want, I want, we want to give you this so that it will remind us because we know that we need to live for God's glory. But somehow we forget it. Somehow we take it for granted. Somehow we get, we got so busy in life. We get so distracted with our goals in life that we forget our life is for God's glory. What's our message again? Live for God's glory. What does that mean? Let me give you a simple definition of living for God's glory. Living for God's glory means that I desire His will, follow His ways, and I give my all to Him. Meaning to say my heart wants God's heart. Whatever His will is, that's my desire. And whatever His ways are, even though I don't like it sometimes, I'm going to follow it. That's why for some people, when they hear messages like this, it gives them a hard time to, to stay in the body of Christ. Because you know what's happening? At first, they like the message about love. Yes, God loves me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But then when they hear, hey, you need to surrender your life. If you really love God, you surrender your life to Jesus. But I don't want to. But that's what it means. That's the proper response to God's love. Living for God's glory means I will desire what He desire. I will follow His ways and I will give my all to Him. In three points, this is what happens in our lives. Number one, we live for His mission. That's what what happens when we live for God's glory. Second, we live in obedience, meaning you say we follow His ways. And third, we live with wholehearted devotion. Our heart is completely His. That's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because there was a problem in the church of Corinth. Let me give you a background in the church of Corinth. In the Corinth, in Corinth, the biggest problem there, the culture that they have is idol worship. What does that mean? That's like their party. That's like their club. That's like the place that they hang out. If you want prostitution, you go to a temple worship because there's prostitution there. If you want money, you go to a temple because they worship the God of money and they think they're going to earn a lot of money by doing that. And they party there. They dance, they eat, they have fellowship, they sing songs, and they worship this temple. So that's their go-to place. That's the culture. And the problem in the church of Corinth, even though they are Christians already, some of them started going back to idol worship. That's why Paul was saying, you need to live for God's glory. So let's look at the first one. Living for his mission. What does that mean? It means like this. Because our problem is this, for some of us, maybe not all of us. For some of us, God's mission is not our primary mission. Right? It's not our primary mission. Maybe your primary mission is just to get rich, to get successful in your business, to take care of your family. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not our primary mission in life. Those things are secondary mission. It doesn't mean that if you don't prioritize those things, that God will forget about those things. No. In fact, the more we prioritize God's mission, the more He's going to take care of our needs, our family, even our business. But the primary goal is we live for God's mission. 
That's why a lot of Christians, they are not committed to the work of Christ. They just stay there, sit, and listen, and consume. That's where you get the term consumerism, Christian consumerism. You just get a lot of stuff. You don't contribute at all. That's not living for God's glory. That's why Paul, look at what Paul said. But before that, let's look at Matthew 28. Because this is the basis of Paul's passion for Jesus. What's Matthew 28? Let's read this together. One, two, three, go. And Jesus, what? Came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. And what is that? In heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples. We know this passage. This is why CCF exists. And why are we going to do that? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. If he is the master, then his mission should be our mission. Just like any general or commander-in-chief. They make the shots. They make the decision. We follow. That's what it means if we have Jesus as our master. And why do we need to have his mission, our mission? One, he's our master. Second, look at this. Look at what Paul wrote. For I am not ashamed of the... Gospel, for it is the what? It's the power of God. Do you know that there's no other message that can lead to salvation except the message of Jesus? No other message. That's the gospel. No other good news that can lead to salvation. Only one good news can lead to salvation. And that's the gospel of Jesus. That's why when Paul discovered that, he wanted people to know about Jesus. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at how passionate Paul is. Let's read this together. 1, 2, 3, go. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Duh, of course, anybody who's in a race, they will run. Run in such a way that you win. You want to give your best. Everyone who competes in games exercises self-control in all things. I have a friend that he's running, uh, he's gonna run in a marathon next month. And as early as I think few months ago, he's been training his body, reducing the intake of carbohydrates, training every day, running for one hour, maybe 30 minutes, maybe two hours, just to discipline his body. And that's good because you want to achieve something. But look at how Paul compared this. Everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive what kind of prize? Perishable wreath. It's like the wreath, the award. When you get it, it's perishable. It's not going to last forever. A lot of us are good when it comes to awards. But where do we put it? In our shelves, in our houses, and in our house. And we just let it stay there and we don't do anything about it. We couldn't even sell it because our names are there. And now Paul is comparing this to what God wants us to do because what God wants us to do is imperishable. Look at what he's saying. But we are imperishable. So if it's something that's imperishable, what do we do? I run in such a way as not without aim. I'm doing it for Christ. I box in such a way as not beating the air. It's not purposeless. I discipline my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself not be disqualified. Look at this passion. If other people can excel at their work, which you should do, Paul is saying, I'm going to excel at my work, but I'm going to do it for God's glory. And I'm going to use my work to spread the good news about Jesus. That's why the life verse of Paul, look at Acts 20, 24. I believe this is his life verse. Let's read this together. But... I do not consider, let's read this together. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. What's his goal? That I may finish my course. And what? 
And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, what is that ministry? To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, I know some of you are thinking, so what does that mean, Pastor Marty? Should I resign from work, just become a pastor, become a missionary? That's not what I'm talking about. Look at this statement. Excel at your profession for the Lord and use the opportunities and gifts God has given you to accomplish His mission. Excel. You're a doctor, be an excellent doctor. You're a student, be an excellent student. You're a businessman, be an excellent and a businessman with integrity. You're a worker, you work in a corp- company, in a corporation, then be an excellent worker, an accountant, a nurse, whatever your profession is, engineer, architect, be excellent. Because God wants us to be good role models to other people. Imagine if you're a student and you want to share the gospel, but you keep on failing in your exam. Imagine sharing your, the gospel to your classmates. You know, God loves you. Grabe si Lord magbless. Eh, but bagsa kalagi. No, uh, don't, don't mind that. But God loves you. It's, it's so hard to share the gospel. You keep on failing in your exam. Or let's say you're a worker and, and you're always late at work. And you will tell your, your, your friend, your office mate, you know, I have something good news to share to you. Oh, what's the good news? You know, Jesus is for you. Jesus died for your sins. Look at my life. He changed me. Ah, talaga. Wow, you've changed. But you're always late. They won't listen. There's no integrity. That's why you excel. That's what it means when having his mission, your mission. They will see that you're Christian. They will notice you're a Christian. They will notice the changes in your life. They will notice how excellent you are. And they will be blessed by your life. Can you ask your seatmate, am I, a, am I a blessing to you? Go, ask your seatmate, am I a blessing to you? Pag hindi sumagot yan, magpray ka na. Okay? I'm just kidding. But you, you get what I'm talking about. That that's what it means to be a genuine Christian. We live for His mission. Whatever your profession is, wherever God sends you, some of you are listening. You're from, uh, you're you're working out of the uh, outside of the Philippines, in different parts of the world. Use the opportunities and God, the gifts that God has given you to accomplish your mission, because God wants you to be salt and light wherever you are. But it points back to our desire to live for God's glory. If we really want to live for God's glory, then we will live for His mission. What's our message again? Live. For God's glory. Tell your seatmate, one, two, three, go. Live for God's glory. So when we live for God's glory, first, we will live for His mission. Second is we will live in obedience. Why is obedience very important? Because look at our problem. Sometimes, this is our problem. Sometimes we have this mindset that as long as we are doing certain Christian practices, we think we are okay. I think that's a Filipino culture. Oh, I went to church already. I'm a good Christian. I gave my tithes. I'm a good Christian. I went to a D group. I'm a good Christian. Oh, I finished all the GLC classes. I'm a mature Christian. I'm not saying you don't do those things. But those things amounts to nothing if we live a life of compromises. Because obedience is better in the eyes of God. What God wants us to do is to obey. More than just, oh Lord, I sacrifice this. I offer this. I'm serving in the ministry. And do you know that there are people serving in the ministry? Maybe, hopefully not in CCF. But they're living a life of compromises. That's why, look at what happened to Saul. When Samuel rebuked him. You know, God commanded Saul, I want you to destroy this king. Destroy his kingdom 
kill all of his uh, soldiers, destroy also all of his goods. Meaning to say, you don't take away any of his goods after you destroy this kingdom. But guess what Saul did? He destroyed everything except the king. And he also took some of the goods, some of the animals, and he was thinking to himself, we deserve something, and we will also offer this animal to God, because we want to thank God. So he did that. He got some of the animals, the goats, the cow, he offered it an offering, sacrifice to the Lord, and there was a burnt offering, and Samuel came. What are you doing? Diba sabi ni Lord, God told you to destroy everything. Why did you take something for yourself? But you know, I offered also something for God. Look at our justification. And look at what Samuel said to Saul. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What's important to God? Behold, let's read the yellow line there. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. That's what's more important to God. Again, I'm not saying you don't serve. Yes, serve. But at the same time, live a life of obedience. That's why Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he was dealing this issue to the the Christians in Corinth. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. What do you mean that I don't want you to be unaware, brethren? That our fathers were all under the cloud. Meaning to say they experienced the pillar of cloud. The pillar of cloud, following them in the desert. Imagine that miracle. Look at this. Huh? They also experienced passing through the sea, the Red Sea, the parting. You remember that story, right? So imagine you're an Israelite. Wow, there's a cloud following us. Wow, a miracle. We're parting the Red Sea. We're walking on dry ground. And look at the next one. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Meaning to say Moses was the one leading them through the, through the cloud and through the sea. He was the one leading. That's what it means in verse 2. And then verse 3, another miracle. All of them ate what? Spiritual food. They were in the desert. They don't know where to get food. And here's manna coming down from heaven. Imagine if you're an Israelite. Wow, what's this? Oh, look at this piece of like bread. And then they tasted it. Wow, it tastes nice. They experienced the miracle. They all drank the same spiritual drink. What kind of drink? They were drinking from a spiritual rock. They were thirsty and there was no water. And here's a piece of rock. Moses spoke to it and water came out. And they were amazed. Wow, there's water coming out from the rock. And the second time, Moses was frustrated. He hit the rock, it, water came out. And again, they were amazed. But look at this. So what, what did Paul say afterwards? He compared it to what the Christians were experiencing. The rock was... Christ. Meaning to say, if the Israelites experience nourishment, they experience also provision because of God. God also, through Jesus, allowed you Christians in Corinth to experience the, if you're hungry, Jesus is the bread of life. If you're thirsty, he is also the living water to quench our spiritual thirst. And if you need salvation, he is the rock to save us. That's why in Acts chapter 4, let's read this together. Verse 11 and 12. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief, the source of our salvation. There's salvation in no one else, only in Jesus. In no one else can you be saved. Only through Jesus. So they know this already. Imagine you're an Israelite. You know all of these miracles. You have been provided for by the manna from heaven, by the water coming out from the rock. But look at what happened in verse 5. Let's read verse 5 together. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Pwede pala yun, no? 
They experienced the miracle of God. They've been going to church, encountering God in a mighty way, hearing testimonies that are powerful, but your life is not pleasing to God. And that's scary. Look at the description. Not well pleasing to the Lord. What does that mean? Why would we still live that kind of life even though we've experienced God's amazing work? You know, last month, Elevated, Elevate celebrated its 10th year, or last August, Elevate celebrated its 10th year anniversary. By God's grace, God has sustained the ministry. We have over 250 campus workers working full-time, and we have thousands of D-group leaders all over the Philippines and all over the world. So can we praise God for what He's doing? And that month, or that day, when we were celebrating this anniversary, before I spoke, I was, I was praying to God, and I was asking God, Lord, I know it's all by His grace. Everything that has, is happening, how he's expanding the movement, how he's using us, it's all by his grace. So I was asking God, Lord, what do we need to do? Of course, we know it's all him, but what do we need to do? Because we have a response to make. We have a responsibility. What do we need to do so that you will add at least 10 more years to elevate? At least 10 more years. Of course, I want the ministry to stay until Jesus comes again. But at least 10 more years, Lord, what do we need to do? And God reminded me of the word holiness. And it's as if God was telling me, Marty, I want you to be pleasing to me. I want your leaders to be pleasing to me. I want the ministry to be pleasing to me. Because if Elevate or even CCF is not pleasing to the Lord and your life is not pleasing to the Lord, it's not going to last. It's not going to be fruitful. That's why it's important to be pleasing to God. Look at this statement. If my life is not pleasing to God, then I am I don't want to be against God. Some of us can say we're so used to the message of God's love. Yes, God loves me. That's good. But guess what? God is also just. And we need to hear messages like that. Because sometimes that's the only way we will change. Sometimes we keep on hearing God's love, God's love. Yeah, God loves me, but you don't change. Just like my kids. If I show them love, always love, they will keep repeating the same mistake. But if I tell them, I'm going to spank you. I'm not going to do it again, Dad. If, I'm, I'm, I, if I tell them, I'm going to get your phone and you're not going to use it for today. Okay, I'm going to obey now, right? Because sometimes that is necessary to wake us up. So tell your seatmate, gising ka na. Okay, baka natutulog yan. Okay, so tell them. Because we need to be to have a life pleasing to the Lord. Look at what happened to the Israelites. It was a warning to the, to the Christians in Corinth. It was a warning to them. Verses 6 to 8. Now, these things happen as... May example na tayo. We have an example already. In the Old Testament, they experienced the miracle, but they still went to their idols. Why? So that we should not crave evil things. Why do you still want to go back to the old ways, to the lust of the flesh, when you have experienced the grace and amazing love of God? They craved to that. Look at verse 7. How did they do this? They went to their idols. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. What is this about? Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Look at the punishment of God. You know when this happened? Exodus chapter 32. What happened in Exodus chapter 32? This was the time Moses was in the mountain talking to God. Because God was about to give to him the Ten Commandments. And it took a long time for Moses to come down. So the Israelites, they were kind of bored and they want to worship their God. You have to understand that's really the culture before. 
they are used to worshiping gods. They came from Egypt. That's their party. They worship their gods. So they told Aaron, Aaron, I don't know where our Moses, our leader is. It is taking him a long time. And we want to do something. We want to worship our God that took us away from Egypt and brought us here. Can you make us an idol? Imagine their mindset. They still didn't understand the idol is not God. God is spirit. He's the one called Yahweh who took you out of these, these, the slavery. But for them, we want an image. So what did Aaron do? Okay, okay, give me the gold articles, your gold earrings. I'll fashion a God for you. You know how crazy that is? That's not the right worship. They're not worshiping God. But look at what happened. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Let's read this together. In verses 5 and 6. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar... Aaron made the proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall we have feast too? Kanina daw? Kay Yahweh? The calf is not God. What are you telling them, Aaron? In, in other words, they don't know the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord the wrong way. It was a false kind of worship and very dangerous. How do I know that their hearts were not inclined to God? Look at verse 6. The next day, they were excited. Imagine, they rose early. And they offered burnt offerings to the Lord. Lord, and here's the, here's the calf. Yes, Lord, we are worshiping you. You are our God. Talking to a cow. To a calf, right? And the people sat down. And here's what Paul alluded to. And they ate because they celebrate. And they drink. They got drunk. And they rose to play. Hindi naglalaro ah. They were dancing. They were having a party. How do I know? Because later on, Joshua would tell Moses, uh, Moses, I think there's a war going on down there. No, there's no war there. That's a celebration. They're partying. They're getting drunk. They're partying because they're worshiping their wrong God. That's the problem there. They were testing the Lord. Even though they've encountered who God is already. They were not pleasing to God. And look at the next verses. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. And God destroyed them by sending serpents. This is when they complained. Numbers 21. When they complained with the manna. You know what they were saying to Moses? Moses, manna na naman. For several years, they've been eating the manna. And they got so tired, they wanted steak. They wanted salmon. Nothing wrong with those things. But they were not thankful and grateful to God. God sent a serpent. Thousands of them died. And then some of them grumbled against the Lord. They were destroyed by the destroyer. And these things happen as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. And some of us, we don't need these examples because we have examples that we know of people who kept on compromising and then God disciplined that person. Some of us, we have testimonies like that. Na ang tigas ng ulo natin and God disciplined us. Can you ask your seatmate, matigas ba ulo mo? Look at your head. It's hard, right? We're hard-headed sometimes. And look at verse 12. Therefore, I like the warning of Paul here. Let him who, sta- who thinks he stands, take heed that he does not fall. Meaning to say, let him who thinks that I'm mature already, I've achieved a lot of stuff, I'm not going to fall into this sin. Because the Christians in Corinth, they think like that. Paul, I've been a Christian for a long time now. I've taken the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to compromise when I'm in the idol worship. I know the idol is not real. I just want to be with my friends. And Paul is saying, take heed lest you fall. 
Because I don't want you to compromise. And some of the things in this world can lead us to compromise. And I like this statement. Look at how God deals with us when we're hard-headed. God sends rebukes, warning signs, and He will break us if we do not repent. Right? God sends rebukes. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. You're living a life of compromise. You will hear rebukes from your parents, rebukes from other people, from your D group, from what you watch, from this message. And there will be rebukes. And you don't want to hear rebukes. So you keep on shoving. Just, just not minding it. I don't like it. I'm just going to shove it under the rug. I'm not going to listen to it. And then there will be warning signs. I remember this young man. Uh, he was serving in the church faithfully. It's not from CCF, but serving in the church faithfully. But somehow, eventually he had a relationship. And they were fooling around. Him and the girl. They were fooling around, doing crazy things, things that was not honoring to the Lord. But he was still serving, serving in the ministry, serving in church. There were already warning signs. There were already rebukes from the parents because they didn't want these two people to be in a relationship. So they were being rebuked by these people. Some of the people in the church also rebukes them, but they wouldn't listen. And eventually there was a warning sign. They were fooling around inside a car in a parking lot in a mall. And a security guard saw them fooling around. And then the security guard was about to bring this young man to the police because of what was happening. Eventually, the both of them pleaded. They said, sorry. And then afterwards, you know, the security guard said, okay, you're free to go. But that was a warning sign. God allowed that to happen to wake them up. And I'm sharing this because it's happening at church also. That sometimes we're serving, we're busy doing all of these things, but we're living a life of compromise. Buti na lang the person repented or else there will be brokenness. But you know, sometimes I realize God will use brokenness to truly wake us up. Sometimes kasi our head is just so hard. Not gonna obey, we're not gonna change, we keep on doing all these things that we want, we keep on living a life of compromises until God breaks us. And sometimes I tell D-group leaders, small group leaders, if they have D-group members that are just so hard-headed, sometimes I ask them, you know, maybe you can pray something like this. You tell God, Lord, if it's, if it's necessary, would you break them so that they will repent? I'm not saying you keep praying that ah, to those people that you don't like. Break them, Lord. Please break all of these bad. No, no, I'm not saying you keep praying them. But sometimes it's necessary. And maybe you need to also appreciate when God breaks you. Because sometimes when God breaks you, that's the only time you will change. But guess what God will do? When we experience temptation. Look at the next verse. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. No, let's read this together. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. In other words, the struggle that you're experiencing, you're not the only one struggling with that. I hear young people would tell me, Kuya Marty, you don't know my struggle. It's really hard. Not like other people. No. It's a common struggle. Maybe not all struggle with that, but there are many people struggling with that. And the good news is, God is faithful. Hindi ka papabayaan Lord. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And some people are saying, but how come I can't Deal with it. It seems like I can overcome it. You can overcome it. God is faithful. In fact, look at the next part of the passage. With the temptation, He will provide the way of... There's always a way of escape. Look at all the temptation, our favorite sins. Reflect on those things. And in every temptation, I promise you, if you reflect on those things, there's always an escape. 
There's always a door at the back. There's always something that we can do to escape. Some singles would tell me, Pastor Marty, I'm just struggling. I can't let go of this relationship. Because siya na talaga. But you know that that's not the right relationship. I know it's not the right relationship. But there's no one like him. And you know what I would tell them? There's someone better. Tell your seatmate, there's always something, someone better when you are in God. Okay? Let's give a clap offering to our Lord. No, seriously. Don't be blinded and enslaved with the mindset now. Oh, this is it. No, there's nothing better. I'm enjoying this already. There is a way of escape because God is faithful. What's our message again? Live for God's glory. Again, tell your seatmate. Go. Live for, show the sticker. Stick it to their forehead. I'm just kidding. So remind us that we need to live for God's glory. We live for God's glory. How do we do that? When we live for His mission. We do that when we live in, a, in obedience. And you know, worship without obedience is not worship at all. If you're worshiping God in church, and that's good that we worship God in church, but there's compromises in our lives, God is really not pleased. He wants us to deal with that. That's why we have a pre-service prayer time to prepare our hearts, to ask God, Lord, is there any sin in my life? And then to confess it. Because God wants us to be right with Him. And finally, a life that glorifies God means that we will live with wholehearted devotion. And this is, I think, the key to do the two other things. Because you won't do His mission and you won't live a life of obedience if your heart is not fully devoted to Him. If you don't love God with all your heart, I'm not going to be busy for His work. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live for myself. If I don't love God with all of my heart, I'm not going to obey Him. Ang hirap eh. That's hard. Why would I do that? But you know what our problem is? There are times something or someone is more important for us than God. If we're completely honest, huh? there are times something, maybe an ideology, maybe a desire, someone, a wrong relationship, wrong group of friends is more important for us than God. That's why Paul said to the Christians in Corinth, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If you read verses about idolatry, most of the time, if not all the time, Paul would say, flee. Layuan mo yan. Don't stay there. Because God knows that staying in an idolatrous place will draw us farther away from Him. That's how He explained it. Look at the next verses. Look at what He says. Verse 15. I speak as to wise men. You know why he says this? Because the Corinthian believers think they're wise already. Oh, diba you're wise? Judge what I say. If you're really wise, look at this. Verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? What is Paul saying here? How come it's becoming complicated? This is the Lord's Supper. What is he talking about here? Look at the next verse. Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Huh? What does this mean? It means like this. Since they've experienced the blood of Christ, they've experienced the, the Lord's Supper, it's a communion with God. In other words, they have experienced God's love. They know who God is. They have fellowship already with the Lord. Jesus is already their master and savior because they declared it. 
Because before you take the Lord's Supper, you're declaring to people, I'm a follower of Jesus. He is my God. I'm going to follow Him. So Paul is saying, you did these things already. And when you did these practices, you are united with God. Now why are you going back to idol worship, to idol feast, thinking that you're not fellowshipping with the wrong God? And the people are saying, no, no, no. We don't believe in their gods. We just want to go to the idol feast, Paul. We just want to spend time with our unbelieving friends because, you know, we miss them. We want to have fun with them. That's what they were saying to Paul. And look at what Paul said in the next verses. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Meaning say, Paul is saying, I know you don't believe that the idols are real because they know already Aphrodite is not real, the Zeus is not real, the other gods are not real. They know that already. So when they go to idol temples, they're, they're, they're saying to Paul, we don't believe in this God. We just want to be with our friends. But look at what Paul said. I know you don't believe that. And I'm not saying those things are real. But this is what I'm saying. I say that the things with the Gentile sacrifice, they are not gods, but they sacrifice to? To what? That's demonic. Zeus is not real. The gods that these Greek people are worshipping are not real. And you know that. But they're demonic. Why do you go to places that are demonic? That's what Paul is saying here. Look at verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons at the same time. Do you think by going to this temple worship, there's no effect on you? There is, because it's demonic. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Compromising. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He. Are we? That's what Paul is saying. Why do you compromise? That's a dangerous place. That's a place where you're going to get enticed once again. That was your life before. And I know you don't believe in those gods, but you're going to a place that is shaky and may draw you away from God. Now, how do we apply it in our context? You know, in our context, there are cultural practices in our world today that are rooted in demonic principles. There are places, things in our world today that seems innocent, but it's rooted in demonic principles. And we are to flee also from those things. How do we need to be guided by this? Look at these questions. First question is this. Why do you still go to places that you know can lead you to do immoral things? I'm speaking to the singles here, young people. Don't wa- look at your phones. Just hear, hear me out. Why do you still go to that places? I mean, you know already that the purpose of the place is for young men, young women to flirt with each other and eventually they commit immoral acts. Or maybe they don't commit immoral acts, but they lust in the eyes. Why? Why still go there? It's a cultural practice all over the world. Go to places, they get drunk, they party all night, do crazy things. Why? It's rooted in demonic principles. And we need to bring this out because this is also what Paul was trying to point out. We don't have the idol worship in our, you know, not in our country. Maybe in other countries they have idol worship. And it's not a place that you hang out usually, right, in idol worship. But we have places that is culturally culturally accepted in the world. And people are compromising. Look at the next question. Why do you watch shows that you know are tempting you to do your favorite sin? I mean, Netflix is not bad, okay? But there are shows in Netflix that are questionable. 
that are very popular in this world. But you know already when you watch that and when you're glued to it, you're going to be tempted to sin your favorite sin. Why? Because the show talks about that. So why still indulge in those things? Demonic principles. Another one. Look at this question. Why do you spend so much time with people that you know are leading you farther away from God. But you know, Pastor Martin, I'm going to draw them back to church, draw them closer to God. It's good if it's, if that's happening. But if they are drawing you farther away from God, then that's the problem. I'm not saying you won't be friends with them anymore. But what I'm saying is spend more time also with people who love the Lord. And I know some young people would say, they're boring, eh? they're not that fun. You know, the Christians, they're not as fun as the people in the world. Look at your seatmate. Are they fun to be with? Look at your seatmate. Smile naman kayo. Smile to each other. Yeah, you know, you just don't know how fun Christians are. We're not killjoy. I promise you. You be in the body of Christ, it's way different. The fun is different. The, the happiness, the joy, the contentment, it's totally different. You just got used to the world. That's why Paul is saying, no, that's not the real fun out there. It's dangerous. It's demonic. It's going to draw you away from God. Look at the next question. Why do you do certain practices, practices that you know are hurting the Lord and will hurt you in the end? Why do you still do it? Why do you invest in wrong things? Why do you gamble and lose a lot of money? Why do you do certain practices like cheating in your school or whatever that is? Not having integrity when you know it's hurting the Lord and it's going to hurt you in the end. And why do you keep listening to people who sounds good but are making your views about God and life wrong? I'm not saying you don't listen to experts when it comes to the medical field, when it comes to businesses. Of course, you can listen to them. But when it comes to God... When it comes to how you should live your life, they're not necessarily the best people to listen to. That's why we need to be careful who we listen to when it comes to God, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to gender, when it comes to identity, when it comes to life. Because God has His Word for us. What's our message again? Live for God's glory. And I know this is quite tough, but that's why we need to talk about it. Look at the next verses, verse 23-24. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Yes, you are free. We are free to do whatever we want. But make sure it's profitable for us. It's glorifying to God to God and it will edify us. But our problem is verse 24. Let no one seek his own good. We're self centered. That's what the Christians in Corinth were thinking. Well, I am, I'm having fun in this temple, Paul. Just let me be here. But think also of your neighbor when they see you going to that place. Oh, what will they think? Ah, he's worshiping that God. Imagine, they're gonna get stumbled. Ah, pwede pala yon. Ah, we can do those things pala. And look at the next, the contrast. Look at the next one, the contrast. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions or conscience sake. Huh? How come it shifted in this tone? What is this all about? For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. First, he was preventing us from, yeah, he was telling us to flee from idols. And now he's telling us, now you can eat the meat in the market. Or if one unbeliever invites you to their house and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. What does that mean? It means we shouldn't, shouldn't be paranoid. It means that we, you shouldn't go to the marketplace. Oh, that's meat. That's from the devil. No, I'm not going to eat that. Oh, I don't like that, right? Or any shows you see in TV, let's close, let's throw our TVs away, it's all evil. No! Don't go to the extreme. 
I know some Christians, they have certain convictions. Not to watch this, not to watch Netflix, not to go to... Some Christians, their conviction, not to watch in a movie house. And it's okay, as long as you do it for the Lord. But you don't impose it to everyone to have the same conviction. Some Christians, their conviction, not to drink alcoholic drinks. And that's good, maybe because his past, he was addicted to alcoholic drinks. But drinking alcoholic drinks in the scripture, it's not that bad. But what's bad is when you get drunk. That's the sinfulness. So it's clear in the scripture. So if it's not completely clear, but you have that conviction, it's okay. But don't impose it to all the believers. That's what Paul is saying here. You don't need to be paranoid. Is this for the devil or is this for this God? No, no, no. For you to have a clear conscience and for you not to be bothered, you just eat it because everything is the Lord's. But when you go to the temple of, of uh, an idol, that's another thing. That's what he's saying. And then look at the next part. If anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols. So you were invited in the house. And the person said, you know, bro, this is, I offer this to my God. Then do not eat it respectfully for the sake of the one who informed you. For conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but for him. Because for the unbelievers in Corinth, if you eat a meat that they said they offered to idols, they are thinking, ah, you believe my idol. So for that person's conscience sake, you say, no, I don't want to eat that because I don't worship that idol. I worship Jesus. And look at the next part. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? What does that mean? In other words, some of the Christians who were there were thinking, Pero Paul, what if steak was given to us? And he said he offered it to his God, but I want to eat it. And I prayed already for it. Why will I adjust for this unbeliever? Shamag adjust. Can I just explain that? Uh, you know, I don't believe in your God, uh, but I want to eat this. Uh, okay, just, you know what, that, 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 what? That's what they're saying. And Paul is saying, no, 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 for conscience sake, to protect the mind of the unbelievers and to win them for the gospel. Don't eat it. That's why he says in verse 31, the most famous verse in chapter 10. Let's read this together. Whether then you eat, come on, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, what? Do it all for the glory of God. That's why he said this. Because in the next verses, he clarified, I will not, I will give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also please all things in all men. Not, not men pleaser sha, but he's pleasing them so that they will be saved. He's doing certain things so that they will know Christ and eventually follow the Lord. That's what he's doing. He's living for the glory of God. What's our message again? Live for God's glory. Wholehearted devotion. Not willing to compromise. You know, when we live for God's glory, it doesn't just affect our response to people. That we will be for others. That we will not compromise. It will also affect our response when challenging things happen in our life. Because let's be honest, there are things in your life that you don't understand. Sickness, tragedy. And sometimes we question God, why are you allowing this to happen, Lord? When we are wholly devoted to God, our heart is fully devoted to Him. Even if we don't understand it, we will stay close to the Lord and we will depend on Him. That's why I've asked one of our campus workers, Mark and his wife Aubrey, to share their testimony. How they went through challenging times, but how they responded in worship to our Lord. Let's all welcome Mark and Aubrey.
After college, I wanted to help my family financially, so I worked abroad in a cruise ship company. It was a great opportunity for me because the salary was good, I had free travel around the world, and I met different kinds of people. Through hard work and commitment, I got promoted. However, my success made me arrogant and worldly. Alcohol, porn, sex became my lifestyle. I was enjoying the new life I was living and the money I was making. But whenever I was alone, I was feeling very empty and lonely. In 2010, during my vacation in the Philippines, in my desire to feel the emptiness, I attended CCF Ladway. After a few times of attending Sunday services, I found that what was missing in my life, it's Jesus. <clears throat> I pursued to seek God for months, and with the help of godly leaders around me, I got to know Jesus more and more. Then I found myself falling so deeply in love with Him as I continued to seek Him with all my heart. Excited with my new relationship with Jesus, I extended my stay in the Philippines so I could have more time knowing the Lord. Then I started to hear God speaking to me. He gave me a clear instruction to let go of my career and stay in the Philippines for good. In one of my quiet time, He spoke to me through Matthew 5, 29-30, which says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. I decided to obey God. It was a decision that made me become more intimate with the Lord, which eventually led me to joyfully serving Him. I grew up in a Christian family. I was four years old when we started attending church. And because my parents wanted me and my siblings to grow more in the Lord, they enrolled us to a Christian school. It was during our chapel service that I accepted the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior. I was nine years old. I was basically a good daughter. I was studying and I was not drinking, not doing anything wrong. And I'm involved in different ministries. But during my college years, I had a problem at school and did not tell my parents. They thought I was graduating and they did not know I kept dropping my morning subjects because of tardiness. It was the day of my supposed to be graduation that they confronted me and found the truth. Despite my lies, they still loved me and forgave me. They were a true reflection of our Heavenly Father's love for me. It was in CCF that I met Aubrey. In 2013, we got married and just 11 months later, we found out that she was pregnant. We were thinking that a boy for a firstborn is good, so we prayed for a son. But the Lord gave us a daughter and we named her Matea. The following year, God called me to serve him full-time in Elevate. Aubrey and I knew that it was not going to be an easy journey for us, but we gladly heeded to his call. I became a campus missionary. In 2018, I got pregnant for the second time. We prayed for a son again. We've always wanted a son, especially this time since we already have a daughter. But the Lord blessed us another baby girl whom we named Mia. Four years later, Aubrey got pregnant again for the third time. We wanted it to be her last pregnancy, so we prayed so hard for God to bless us with a son. We even asked our family to pray for our baby to be a boy this time. Then in Feb 2023, we received God's answer to our prayers. 
My wife was carrying a baby boy. I was so happy I would imagine my son and I playing basketball. And more importantly, I was excited to teach and guide our son with godly values together with his sisters. We regularly went for checkups and our doctor would always tell us that our baby is healthy. Then early July 1, 2023 came, I woke Mark and asked him to bring me to the hospital. I got nervous, but at the same time, I was confident and full of joy, believing that we will be going home the next day with our son. Aubrey was admitted and the doctor assured me that both my wife and our son were okay. During the delivery, I was having a hard time pushing my baby out and my blood pressure was also going up. We were able to let the baby out, but I was wondering why I haven't seen him yet. I did not understand what was happening, but I know something was wrong. All I know is I wanted to carry my baby so much. Exhausted, I fell asleep. By noon, I was asked to go to the delivery room. The doctor said that Aubrey was okay and the baby was out. But he was being cared for by the doctor. I wondered why, but I thought maybe he just needed extra care and they will soon bring him to our room. A few minutes later, I was called by the doctor again to inform me that our baby was in critical condition. I was shocked and confused, but I knew that I needed to trust the Lord. I immediately asked our family, our church leaders, D-group mates, workmates, and churchmates to pray for our son. But at 4 p.m. that day, our son, Marcus Josiah, went to heaven after fighting for his life. In the meantime, my wife was struggling with high blood pressure in the other room with nurses attending to her. It was a very scary moment for me. I just lost my son at that, and at that point, I didn't know if I would lose my wife also. My faith was tested. All my beliefs about God was challenged. I'll be honest, at that time, I struggled with my faith. I didn't know what to believe anymore. We were grieving our son's death, and being in the hospital added more pain, stress, and sadness to us. We wanted to go home, but we couldn't because of Aubrey's condition. But by God's grace, we were able to go home the next day. In 2013, I started to pray for a son. After 10 years, God answered my prayer when my wife gave birth to Marcus Josiah. I had so many plans with him, but God had a different plan. I may never understand why the Lord allowed this to happen, but it doesn't matter. What is important is that Aubrey and I know that our God is in control, our God is powerful, our God is a loving God and Father, our God knows what is best for us. When I said yes to God to be a campus missionary, I experienced many challenges both in the ministry and at home. There were times I wanted to quit, but after every prayer, I would hear God's comforting words and clear message to me to keep serving Him in Elevate. Eight years later, I am still serving in Elevate and this time as the program coordinator of Hashtag Not Alone. Even after this tragic event in our life and the many questions we have in our minds, Mark and I are committed to continue to trust and obey the Lord. We are thankful to God for surrounding us with loving and supportive biological family and spiritual family in CCF Sandoval and Elevate Nationwide. 
through God's word and God's people that we are being strengthened by the day. We are given the drive to move on, to live out our purpose with peace in our hearts. Looking back on how the doctor whom we trusted handled my labor and delivery, we were tempted to make formal complaint, especially because a lot of people were suggesting that we should so it could be prevented. But God led us to let go. His grace is sufficient. Through this experience, the Lord gave us a lifetime reminder of His grace. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 9 to 10 says, And He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am Mark Ballesteros, and together with my wife, Aubrey, we will continue to trust the Lord. We will continue to praise the Lord. We will continue to serve the Lord. We will continue to follow Him, even when life is painful at times. Thank you, and to God be the glory. Thank you, Mark, Aubrey. These are the D-group leaders of Mark and Aubrey, Jano and Janice. So why don't we pray for the couple? I know they went through a lot, but in their testimony, we can see that when our heart is fully devoted to God, God will give us peace, even if there are things that we don't completely understand. But why don't we pray for them? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the testimony of Mark and Aubrey. They've been through a lot, very challenging. We were with them in that journey, Lord. And of course, Jano and Janice were with them as well. Thank you for giving them the body of Christ to grant them comfort, strength, encouragement. But I know it's not going to be easy in the next few months, in the next few years maybe. But I pray that your hand of blessing and comfort will continue to be with them. Help them, Lord, to model what it means to honor you in every situation, whether it's easy or it's difficult. And thank you also for the grace you have given them to respond in worship, even though they didn't understand what's happening. We thank you for their lives. Bless them. And bless the remaining of our time today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. God bless. What's our message again? Live for God's glory. That's what it happens when there are challenging times in our lives. We don't understand. And then we are reminded, I'm living for God. Even though we don't understand and we we can't fully accept what's happening. God will bring us peace. God will grant us comfort. Because we're all doing it for God's glory. So how do we live for God's glory as we end? Life that glorifies God, we live for His mission. We live in obedience and we live with wholehearted devotion. You know, yesterday morning, afternoon in our time, Israel declared a state of war. I think most of us are aware of what is happening right now. I think over 5,000 or maybe 3,000 missile fired to Israel and then Hamas soldiers going in the southern part of Israel. And I was, you know, getting to know what's really happening here while I was preparing. I was watching the news, checking what's happening online. And I was reminded of two things. First thing that I was reminded of is this. All of our earthly investments... All of your businesses, all of your success in life, and all of the success of your kids will be wiped out when there's a big war. When the war was happening, specifically in the southern part of Israel, all the farmlands, it was destroyed. All the buildings, the buildings there, the cars destroyed. Everything wiped out. 
Imagine all your investments. So if you're just investing and living for the purposes of earth, and there's a big war, of course, I hope there's not going to be a big war here in the Philippines. And if there's a war, we might just surrender right away. I'm just kidding. But you get what I'm talking about. I hope there's no war. But the point is this. If we just invest on earthly things, it's going to get wiped out easily. Second thing that I realize is this. There are people who live and die for something, someone, or an ideology. They are so convinced it's right. And they are so convinced it will grant them victory. Just like the Hamas soldiers. They were trained to do all of these things for years. They are willing to die and sacrifice their life for an ideology. Thinking that they will win in the end. But guess what's different? We have the truth with us. You know why I choose to live for Jesus? You know why I choose to live for God's glory? Three things. Because God showed the greatest act of love already. The cross of Christ. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. Why wouldn't I live for Him? And that's my question to all of us. Because we know this message already. But something is preventing you from for live, from living for God. Why? You know already that He died for you. You know already that He's the only God. There's no one else. Nobody resurrected from the dead who proclaimed that He's going to die and rise again except Jesus. He's the only one who did that. That's why I follow Him. That's why we keep telling people, follow Jesus. There's no other God than Him. Because He rose again. There's only one God. And He is the only one who can give the greatest gift, eternity, forever in Him. That's why I live for Jesus. You know, I choose to live for Jesus, for God's glory, because of who He is. And because whether I like it or not, He wins in the end. I don't know what's going on in your life, but this is my challenge to everyone as we pray. Let's make that decision. If you haven't made that decision, or you made that before, but somehow you are compromising, let's make that decision again. To live for God's glory. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes? I want to give this opportunity for all of us to respond by making this commitment to God. that Lord, I want to live for your glory. I don't know what's preventing you from doing this, but I believe some of you, or maybe a lot of you, God is speaking to you right now. You've been a Christian for a long time, but you're not living for His glory. You're not living for His mission. You're not living in obedience. You're not living a wholehearted devotion to Him. So if you're that person and you want to make that commitment today, why don't you stand up? Anybody who wants to stand up and say, Lord, I want to live for your glory alone. Anybody else? If God is speaking to you, you want to make that commitment, Lord, no more life of compromises. I don't know how to overcome this, but I know you can because you're faithful. So here I am, Lord. I'm standing before you. I ask for your grace. I ask that you grant me victory. I ask, Lord, that you help me live a life that glorifies you. Anybody else? Anybody else who wants to make that commitment? Even if you've been a Christian for a long time. You want to make that commitment. Lord, I want to live for your glory. I want your mission to be my mission. I want your to live in obedience. I want to have a wholehearted devotion to you. I'll give you one more chance if you want to make that commitment. Now let me pray for you. Father God, you see these men and women. This is our desire. It's my desire as well, Lord. That all of us, even those people watching us, joining us online, that all of us 
will live for your glory. Because this is what genuine Christians should be. We live for your glory. Lord, we don't want CCF. We don't want our ministry, this church, these people, Lord. We don't want to be not pleasing to you, Lord. We don't want you to be not pleased to us. Please forgive us. Forgive us if our mission is not aligned to yours. Forgive us if we're not living a life of obedience. Forgive us, dear God, if we have, we're not wholly devoted to you. And please, I pray that starting today, all of us will live for your honor and your glory alone. Thank you for your message to all of us. Thank you for your love and faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Hello, CCF family. Welcome to Sunday Fast Track, where you ask real-life questions and we give you biblical truths. I'm Tej Sosa of Elevate Youth Ministry, and we're here today with our speaker and Elevate Director, Pastor Marty Okaya, to answer today's questions. Hello. How are you, Pastor Marty? Doing good, Tej. How are you? I'm doing good as well. <laughs> we're excited to unpack today's message by asking you a couple of questions. Okay. Are you ready, Pastor Marty? Ready, ready. Alright, so how can I stop compromising or how can our viewers stop compromising? What are some practical steps that we can do to stop it, especially when we're so used to doing so? You know, for I think for a lot of us who are listening, we know who God is. Um, we know the Bible. We know what's right from what's wrong. One first step, first step to really help you overcome your compromises, you really have to have a heart wholly devoted to God. Now, it won't happen if you don't spend time with Him. It won't happen if you don't uh, be involved in a, in the body of Christ, mm. helping you grow in the Lord. I mean, you say grow in your love for God. Yeah. Because look at this. Uh, if you love God, it's easier to obey. Mm. If you love God, it's easier to let go of certain compromises. If you don't love God, you will compromise. You will make justifications for your sins. You will make excuses. The love of God is the first step. If you grow in your love for God because you're studying His Word, because you're knowing Him more, because of the body of Christ, then it's easier to flee from sin and stop those compromises. Praise God. So have a heart wholly and fully devoted to God. Thank you, Pastor Marty, for answering our questions. But before we go, we'd love to invite all the youth and young at heart out there who'd like to disciple the next generation to our upcoming Move 2023 Youth Discipleship Conference entitled Grounded, happening this October 30 to November 1. To register or to buy your tickets, visit moveydc.org now. We hope to see you there and that's it for Sunday Fast Track. God bless everyone.